One of the things that I've enjoyed most over the years here on the Twilight Zone podcast is speaking to those authors who have spent time in the Rod Sailing archives, doing research for their books and digging through that material, finding different versions of existing things, but also those unproduced gems or scripts for things that were produced but were broadcast live and never recorded, or the recordings have been lost to time. Tonight on the show, my guest is John Keysweater, who is a veteran journalist and broadcaster from Cincinnati. And he's not only going to be telling us about one of these treasures that was lost to time, but about his 30-year mission to find it. The project is called O'Toole from Moscow and I'm going to let John explain to you exactly what that is. And the great thing is, we don't have to wait very long to experience it. So submitted for your approval tonight is my conversation with John Keysweater. Well John, I want to thank you so much for speaking to me tonight and I'm sure there's going to be some people in Cincinnati who who will be aware of you but for the rest of us can you give us a bit of background on you and your career I uh, worked for the uh, Cincinnati Enquirer the daily morning paper in Cincinnati for 40 years mm. and the last 30 of the year 30 years I was the TV columnist and uh, actually radio TV columnist is how it really started out mm-hmm. and um since I got downsized by the paper at the end of 2014 for the last five years, I cover TV and radio and media for uh, Cincinnati Public Radio uh-huh. and public radio station WVXU in Cincinnati and also write a blog for uh, the website WVXU.org. You know, John, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts as someone who's worked in broadcasting as long as you have, especially radio. You know, in this time of podcasts and streaming music on Spotify, do you still think there's a place for radio in the modern world? I think so. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really think, and, and probably as we record this conversation, we're in America, we're just kind of on the front end of the coronavirus um, mm. uh, situation. And uh, I, th- you know, when the governor or the president speaks and and here in the state of Ohio, our governor has a press conference every day at 2 o'clock to give the update on the numbers, the number uh-huh. of people infected, tested, whatever. And um, and I think, you know, you, you know, the streaming might not be convenient in, in your in your car or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but but people will still tune into the radio. I, I think it's still viable for that. Yeah. I think for some sports coverage, um, but definitely if you want music of a certain type or choice, uh, you're probably not listening to a radio. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're going to be talking about Cincinnati probably quite a bit during this conversation. Now, I'm from Liverpool in England, and I guess. A couple of things that define Liverpool are the music, you know, the Beatles and so on, and the, the football club, uh, the soccer club, Liverpool. Right. So I've never been to Cincinnati. What is Cincinnati famous for? What kind of things 
go on there? Cincinnati it was a, is a river town along the Ohio River. Ohio River stretches from Pittsburgh down to St. Louis where it meets up with the, uh, the Mississippi River. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it has a long German heritage. Uh, there are uh, several things we're known for as we're the home of Procter & Gamble, okay. uh, the, the biggest consumer goods company in, in the world and, and, and for many years the world's biggest advertiser. Uh, we're also the home of the Cincinnati Reds Baseball Club, um, baseball big in America, and Cincinnati had the first professional team in 1869 that's 151 years ago wow. so we're the oldest franchise and for that we always get to open at home instead of having to open on the road for the the baseball season uh-huh. it's uh, and at our music hall our, our we have a wonderful symphony and pops orchestra and an opera company and it's in a, a german brick huge music hall building that I think was built in 1876 and has been remodeled several times. Uh-huh. And it's a, it's a beautiful structure with wonderful acoustics. And uh, so we have a lot of arts and culture as, as well as sports and uh, industry here in, in Cincinnati. Wonderful, wonderful. One of the things that interests me most is when we were setting this up, you spoke to me about a rod sailing connection to Cincinnati. So could you tell us what is that connection? After after Rod served in, in World War II, he went to college in Ohio at a, at a private school called Antioch College, mm. which was in a little town of Yellow Springs, Ohio, which is about probably 80 miles north of here. And after he graduated in 1950, he came to Cincinnati and his first job as a professional writer was in Cincinnati for uh, a radio TV station. It was called WLW, mm. um, both radio and TV. The TV would have started in 1948, so they were doing some television uh, in, in the very infancy days, and, and the AM station was a big, powerful 50,000-watt station that still reaches about 38 of the 50 states. Wow. So, so he was hired as a writer, and back then there was he wrote – the continuity or the patter or the chatter for variety shows. He wrote travel logs. He wrote, uh, they even did like some 15-minute sitcoms on, on the TV side. He did a little bit of everything except for the serious dramas that he's known for today. Oh, wow. And in fact, so he was doing all this lighter stuff and all. Uh-huh. And then when he went home, he actually began freelancing uh, half-hour serious drama for an anthology at a competing station in town on WKRC. It was a, a show called The Storm, and they did a half-hour live drama in 51 and 1952, mm. and he wrote 30-some shows, half-hour shows, live shows, and that's really where he began uh, to learn the craft of writing for a TV drama. Uh-huh. And, in fact, some of the topics he did, like boxing and um no gods to serve and and some other shows and themes he later recycled for later one-hour shows that were done on tv networks in the later in the 50s and a couple of topics he even readdressed on the twilight zone that that can trace itself back he he wrote a a half-hour show called the twilight rounds about an aging boxer that that basically is the colonel 
behind a Requiem for a Heavyweight, oh, wow. his, uh, the, the show that was done about five years later. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, I, I've been able to research some of the titles, and part of the fun of being the TV columnist for the Cincinnati Enquirer was I would occasionally write long pieces about and research Rod Serling's Cincinnati life from 1950 to 1954 yeah. and all the different and or when um, American Masters on on public TV here or other occasions or, or people were writing books about Serling they'd usually contact me and then I'd write stories and and learn more and more about what Serling did here and how some of his later shows yeah. connected to um, his his four years in Cincinnati. That's amazing. So these radio shows that you talk about, you, you said they were performed live, right? No, they, they were TV shows. Oh, they TV were performed shows. live. It was a half-hour drama series called The Storm, and okay. he befriended the, the producer, mm. and he wrote... I think 30 of the 33, or he wrote 33 of the 35. I forget the number off the top of my head, but, but he, but that's really where he began crafting, you know, learning the craft of, of, of TV drama. Okay. And did them here. And then later, like I said, would recycle some of the ideas and themes that would show up later in, in later works in his life. So do do any of these still exist, or have they been lost to time? There's only one, and it was called No Gods to Serve, about some guys in a foxhole in World War II. Mm. And, and it only existed because the station was a CBS network affiliate, and they, and they did a kinescope, which is basically making a film from the TV screen yeah. um, uh, of the, of the half-hour show in hopes, get this, in hopes of having a national TV drama on CBS made from Cincinnati. That was, that was the station's dream because uh-huh. there were some variety shows from Cincinnati being fed to the networks in the very early days. Yeah. And so this was filmed and they tried to find network and advertiser support for it. It didn't happen. And within a year, the show was canceled and they did away with it. But so there's only one episode that I know of called No Gods to Serve. Right. And, and because the company that, that owned the TV, the WKRC TV station was basic, was just, was a, a newspaper family here in town, mm. um, uh, re- related by distance to the President Taft from the early, uh, from the 1912. A- anyway, because it was started in this newspaper building, there was only like an eight foot ceiling. Um, so there was only uh, so it was the 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 studio wasn't the big huge studio you, you you'd see in a modern television studio. Right, it was very limited right. by what they could do, but but that was what television was like in 1951, and it was live and it went out over the air and disappeared. Wow. <laughs> so have you managed to see that episode then of the storm? Uh, yeah, yes, I have. They, 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 there's a. Somebody had found it at the station mm. back in 1989, which was the the TV station's 40th anniversary. Yeah, and and they ran it parts of it on on the TV station, and they also ran it on the local uh, cable channel, the, the cable system that was covering Cincinnati. Uh-huh. And and actually, it was back then from in 1989 that because of this and other Serling things that 
that I wrote the first long st- profile feature story in the newspaper uh-huh. about Rod Serling. And it was at that time I learned that he had also done a show in 1955 that was called O'Toole from Moscow. Okay. And it, and it had something to do about uh, in the, at the height of the Cold War, the Russians versus the Americans, and it had something to do with the Russians and the Reds, but these were the Cincinnati Reds. Mm. And and it was a comedy, and that's all I knew about it, and that piqued my interest, and it was became a, a lifelong passion of mine since 1989 to try to find this script and then to to do it as a production here in Cincinnati for Cincinnati because it was a comedy about the Cincinnati Reds. And wow. and that's what we've managed to we managed to find it a couple of years ago and we uh mounted a production with the help of University of Cincinnati students, acting students mm-hmm. and we've uh, put together an hour um an hour radio show. We adapted from T V to radio. Yeah. And um, on March 25th, we're going to premiere it on our airwaves, a show called O'Toole from Moscow. Does the actual television version still exist? N- nothing exists except the script. Right. It was, it was broadcast live mm. um, on, on the NBC network on a show called uh, NBC Matinee Theater. But the show aired at 3 o'clock on a weekday afternoon. Uh-huh. Uh, it actually was broadcast at three o'clock on Monday, December twelfth, nineteen fifty-five. Yeah, it was not recorded because it was before videotape. It wasn't filmed. It wasn't kinescoped. There's no record of it except a couple of members who were in the, a couple people, actors who were in the cast, uh-huh. and, and that's all it was known about it. Wow. And through a, a Serling, some Serling author friends. Um, I was able to track down the script, and um, we had to adapt it from TV to radio. A couple places, like where there's a bar scene in the beginning where it opens with a drunk talking to the tavern owner uh-huh. about uh, the the greatest baseball player ever. And uh, so we had to create some music and and some like uh, sound of a baseball game on the on the. Uh, TV set, yeah. and and there's some scenes in the Russian consulate in New York, so we've got some Russian folk music that kind of introduced that, and then um, then there's some scenes in the ballpark or the clubhouse or the ball field, and and we've got baseball organ music. We actually enlisted the organist for the Cincinnati Reds, a mm-hmm. man named John Schutte, came in, and he did take me out to the ball game and some other uh, ballpark riffs ballpark uh, music that he'd play you know between innings or when there's a rally going on and so we we have his original music that that help make the transition for people who are listening from one place to another by playing the ballpark music so wow it's come out very well i gotta tell you tom it 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 was (laughs) like i said for a dream of mine but it was it was just amazing how well it came together you said is it students performing the play from a local college? Right, from the University of Cincinnati. There's there's quite a performing arts school called the. Uh, it's got a funny name called the College Conservatory of Music (CCM). But mm. the uh, 
Richard Hess, who's a professor of acting and, and directing there, yeah. um, said he would do it for us, with us. And he handpicked eight students who he thought would do the parts well. They have a dialect coach at, at CCM by the name, a woman named Sammy Grant. Mm -hmm. And she worked with them on dialect, so they sounded Russian, but not too Russian, so you could understand them on a radio show. Of course, yeah. And they rehearsed it for about six weeks or so, and they um, came in and, and did a dress rehearsal. And the night of the dress rehearsal, Ann Serling, who is, uh, I know you've spoken to, uh, uh -huh. Rod Serling's daughter from upstate New York, she came in, and she is our host and our narrator um, and sets up the show in the beginning and got to meet the students who did the show. And then the next day, we spent about five hours, and we recorded all the audio pieces and then we later added the music and the sound effects and the uh -huh. sound of feet walking to and from and the door closing and phone rings and all that stuff you need to yeah, to, yeah. To, to, to make an old-fashioned radio drama. Fabulous. So did you write a special introduction for Anne or was that already in the in the script? I I wrote the the introduction for her to read. Actually, once we got the agreement with the with the university to do it. Mm. Then, then after a couple months in, they said, well, we're kind of busy. Could somebody else rewrite it? So I actually, uh, ad adapted the TV script, the TV play to a radio play. I've never written a radio play, obviously in my life, but yeah. I, uh, I adapted it and it just had to create a little couple of little dialogue here or there to, to set the scene. But, um, and then I wrote the, the, the thing for her and, and, um, it, it, in part, she introduces herself and says my, uh, that her family had moved from Cincinnati to, to New York mm -hmm. in 1954 to pursue a, a career as a TV writer. And it was four years before the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And he wrote this story about confusion between the Russians and the Cincinnati Reds. And then to open up the scene, I actually have, she says, here's how my father set the scene. And then she reads the actual stage directions that he wrote wow. to set up the, the show, which is one customer is at the bar, a guy in a wrinkled cotton suit heading into his sixth gin and tonic. He puts the glass down, blinks a couple of times and looks up at the TV and tries to focus. Yeah. And then it immediately goes into this drunk saying, well, what's in it? What inning is it? And, um, and so that's how the, if you would have watched it on TV, I, my guess is the TV camera would have closed it on the, on the front window of the bar and then mm -hmm. gone through the window to see it. But so we, we used her to actually read her own father's words wow. to, to set up. And when we, we approached her, as soon as we got the script, we contact, reached out to her. Actually, the, the general manager of the station and I flew to upstate New York to Syracuse and mm -hmm. met with her and, and told her what we had and what we wanted to do. And she gave us our permission to do it. And, and she was, she was surprised because she had never, this show, Tool from Moscow was unknown yeah. to her. Because uh -huh. uh, it, it would, like I said, it was done once. It was done live. It was not recorded, not filmed, nothing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and she, 
She she told me recently as we were getting ready to record. She said, you know, my my dad would be speechless to realize that 65 years later, this show was going to come back to life and and be produced again. It's so magical to hear this stuff. It's amazing. I, and I appreciate your interest too, because I think that that the that there could be a great interest for the people who who are huge Twilight Zone fans, who are yeah. huge Rod Zerling fans, to find out that there's this kind of new quote-unquote uh, show uh-huh. that's uh, uh, reviving a, a, a show, bringing back to life the words that Serling wrote uh, 65 years ago. Definitely, definitely. It's like finding lost treasure. You know, I, I've been I've been following it, um, you know, the little bits of news that have been coming out about it, and uh, I'm so looking forward to hearing it. But the the story itself, John. Obviously, we don't want to give too much away. But what is it actually about? So it's 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 set the, the um there there there's a, a two Russians, one who worked for the Russian consulate uh, attached to the to the Russian UN office up in New York mm-hmm. in 1955. Yeah. And one guy is a is a low level office guy named Mushnik. We never learn his first name, mm-hmm. and and he has high absenteeism. And the Russians are worried that this guy is absent so much, and they finally put a put a tail on him and find out that he's going to Ebbets Field. That it's turned out, what turns out is he's become a baseball fan, and he keeps on skipping out of work to go watch the Dodgers play baseball at Ebbets Field in mm-hmm. the fifties before the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles. Right. And so they 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 bring him in and they grill him about what you know he's a, because he's associating with 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 foreigners by going to the ballpark uh-huh. and he's just trying to explain, hey, I just like baseball. So. Um, the guy who they send after him to tail him is a big, muscular, young, naive guy named Joseph Bischofsky. Okay. So the, the Russian office manager calls them both in and says, we're going to send you back to Moscow for re-education. This is not good. Uh-huh. So, the, so the two guys decide that they're going to split town and, and flee from the Russians. So they get on a train and they go as far as their money can take them, which mm. is to Cincinnati. So they get to Cincinnati, and and the young guy Joseph panics, uh, and he wants to turn himself in. Um, he doesn't want to be a deserter. He wants to turn himself in. So he get, looks at the phone book and looks for the Russian embassy, communist, nothing, nothing, and he sees Reds, which in the fifties. It was common in newspaper headlines that to, to, to use the word "reds" to refer to Russians or the yeah, communists. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so he goes to the Cincinnati Reds office to turn himself in, and and the Reds general manager is totally befuddled, doesn't know what he's talking about, and he thinks this young guy, young muscular guy, wants an out, uh, wants a tryout to uh, play for the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> And about that time, Mushnik bursts in and says, oh, yeah, yeah, he's an outfielder. His name's Joseph O'Toole, right. instead of his, using his real name. And they, so they give him a tryout. And they give him a tryout the next day. And it turns out he can hit the ball farther than anybody on the Reds team. <laughs> they, they sign him up. Yeah. The Reds, the Reds go on a winning streak and go from like last place to first place over about a four-week stretch, mm. until the Reds go into New York to play, and the Russians see the picture in the newspaper and realize that that's 
Joseph Bischofsky, and that's where these two Russians, uh, former staffers, have gone to. So the, then the Russians go and apprehend them, mm-hmm. and then, then in the words of uh, TV sitcoms, hijinks ensue. Right. That, the, <laughs> that, that how, they, how the thing gets worked out and, and what all happens after that, I won't give away. But Of course. And, and much of the comedy is, is particularly for the American audience, is to um, is the the Russians' total lack of understanding of baseball or the star the names of baseball stars like Mickey Mantle or Jackie Robinson. They think those uh-huh. are the names of they think they're the names of spies. Right. And and at one point the. Um, the office manager grilling Mustnick says, "You were even heard speaking favorably of Yankees, <laughs> meaning, meaning the New York Yankees." But he goes, "What's so good about Yankees?" And and Mushnick goes, "Well, you know, Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra," um, <laughs> and, and it completely misses the Russians. They have no idea what they think he's talking in code yeah. or something. So that that's where and. And, uh, you know, Rod's writing still holds up. I mean, uh-huh. of the players he named from the, from 1955, people, they were, they were almost all Hall of Famers that we, that American baseball lovers still know today. Uh-huh. Uh, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, Leo DeRocher, um, Stan Musial, Duke Snyder. Um, it just, he just happened to pick the stars of the 50s who are still known by, by baseball lovers here today. So, you know, I didn't even have to touch any of that. Fabulous, fabulous. What I was going to ask is Rod was famous for writing stories with a lot of subtext and so on, but he would also write lighter stories that were, you know, purely there for entertainment. Is there any subtext in this, do you think, or is he he just going for, you know, a, a comedic kind of play with this one? I, I think this was true comedy, and it was mm-hmm. interesting that, you know, he he did a TV comedy, a 15-minute sitcom in the like 1951 or 52 here in town called Here's Kathy. Mm. It was a, just a little sitcom involving a family and, the, and this young woman. And I had talked to a guy who who directed that show, and he told me once he said, you know, Rod could never write comedy. We'd have to go rewrite it. Then he'd be mad as hell. Mm. Um, but on this one, this one holds up really well, and it's again, it's, 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 it's a surprise to people because not only is it this rare script that nobody's seen this show, but it's it's a comedy and it holds up really well. He had a, there's some nice subtleties to it, and um, and and it's it's like I said, I, we were surprised that, that that once we saw the script, that it was still still was very funny. Yeah. And it's a period piece, but it's, it's, it's a, so this was just for laughs and, and, um, uh, he, he pulled it off and it, and it still works. Now, John, this has been a 30 year, um, labor of love for you. And, and before we came on the air, I know you said you're, you're just about to listen to the kind of the final draft. Is that right? The, sorry, the final piece. We we had to make a couple of tweaks on uh, mostly on the sound effects mm-hmm. to make things a little bit bigger or louder or softer or add some footsteps. There's a a, a place where um, actually there's a, there's a scene before they get on the train where Mushnick gets Joseph drunk mm-hmm. so he can get get him to go along with him. 
and um, it, it they they drink vodka toasts to different baseball players. Right. And um, we, we couldn't find the right sound effect that just matched it. So when we sat and listened to the rough draft a couple of weeks ago, the the director, the master engineer, and I, then we went down to the kitchen at the radio station at, at Cincinnati Public Radio, grabbed some glass glasses, mm. got a water bottle, and then came back to the studio and, and poured it several times and clinked our glasses together. And we made our own sound effects on the fly. We were like, <laughs> we, we, we were like a couple of college kids on a, on a college project, um, <laughs> m- m- making our own sound effects because, uh, what didn't work. There was a, another case where in America, many of the high schools and colleges use aluminum bats where yeah, the yeah. professional baseball players use wood. Uh-huh. And we couldn't find a sound effect of a wood bat that we liked. And I had a had a friend who coaches softball at a high school, and he told me that after the softball practice in the gym, a couple of guys who were the graduates of that high school but were in the minor leagues would come and take batting practice with a wood bat. So I went there and brought a recording device and recorded them hitting the ball. Fabulous. And, and so... Not only was it a wood bat, but because it was a big metal gym that was empty, it uh-huh. had this kind of funny, funny, uh, explosive sound to it. So for the, the sound effect of Joseph just killing the ball and smashing it over the, over the outfield fence, uh-huh. it, it turned out the sound effect really worked well. So we, we got all those pieces together. And, um, so my homework this weekend is to, um, is put on a pair of headsets and and listen to the to the hour show and and make yeah. sure it, it it all sounds okay. So and then after we we're going to premiere it on Wednesday, March 25th, and it will be streamed live at wvxu.org, mm-hmm. and then we're going to make it available to the public radio stations in America at least yeah. to uh, be able to pick it up and and run it too, and so. We hope that other stations who either love Serling, love the Twilight Zone, or love baseball uh-huh. will uh, will give it a listen. And, and we had originally scheduled the show to air on Wednesday, March 25th at 8 o'clock because it would be the night before the big opening day for the Cincinnati Reds, the baseball team that's the oldest professional team in, in U.S. history. Okay. And and the parade has been canceled, the opening day game has been canceled and baseball has been suspended for a month, but we're sticking to the air date. We're going to run it. We're going to run it then and then the the next day make it available to all the public radio stations across America who might want to pick it up and air it. So, we're still a go and we'll be the only baseball on radio for a while, I'm afraid. Well, uh, yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you're sticking to it, you know. And I guess if people are staying in their homes, it's um, you know at least they've got that to listen to. Exactly. I mean, because the big uh, nationwide college basketball tournament involving sixty some teams has been canceled. Mm. All the conference basketball things. Have been, I mean, the the Masters and all the the great golf matches have been canceled. And, and and rightly so for the fear of the transmission of the disease, but um, but but we're going to stick to it. So we're still a go. You know this this thirty year old uh, labor of love for you, John. How how do you feel at the moment? How is it all you hoped it'd be? It, 
it's it's it far exceeded my hope. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just thought this was a, should, could be a fun little show for the Cincinnati audience, and now it, it has come out spectacularly. That the, the students under the direction of Professor Hess did a great job. The um, master engineer Josh Elstro did a wonderful job. Uh, the sound effects really make it work. Um, and and the the humor holds up well. The the music gives us good transitions, and it, yeah, it, it it far exceeded anything I could have. I, I never thought this day would come, and and yeah. it far exceeds the the uh, the expectations I would have had for this. Fabulous. Well, I will put a link to it in the show notes for anyone who wants to listen to this because I'm very pleased to say that anyone can go on the website and I can stream it from England. So I'll be right. sitting here with everyone else listening to the show, and I can't wait. Well, you have my email, and and, you, and I want to hear your comments or your your take on it after you listen to it. So definitely send me an email because I'd love to hear what as as a Serling fan what you think of it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, John. I am so excited for this. I really am, and I want to say from all the fans of Rod Serling, a big thank you for bringing back to life this piece of his work that you know we would never have gotten to experience. And I'm so happy to hear that after 30 years of wanting to do this, that it's more than you hoped it ever would be. So from all of us, thank you so much. Tom, thank you. Thank you for the thanks. It was a, it was a labor of love for me, a, a passion for, for 30 years for me. And, and I hope that all the Serling fans who check it out, uh, uh, find as, as much fun as what I did to get this made. At the beginning of that conversation, I asked John whether radio still has a place in the modern world of on demand podcasts and streaming music. And I think the upcoming broadcast of O'Toole from Moscow proves exactly why he has. Now, I am as entrenched in the streaming world as anyone, but sometimes I think what we've gained in convenience, we've sacrificed in community and shared experience. And we're living in a very uncertain and frightening time at the moment, and the world around us seems to be changing day by day, not only on the news, but in our neighbourhoods and in our shops. But this Wednesday, we can take a break from our worries for an hour, all of us, at the same time, no matter where we are in the world, by tuning in to O'Toole from Moscow. And while the timing of the release with the beginning of the baseball season didn't quite work out, Perhaps the timing against the backdrop of current world events means that it's arriving just when it needs to. Because while we all miss Rod Serling's wisdom, I think maybe what we need right now to take our minds off this is his wit. So my thanks to John Keysweater for talking to me tonight, but also thanks to him, to Anne Serling, and all the people involved with the production for letting Rod Serling speak to us through the ages and bring us a little bit of light in these dark times. So O'Toole from Moscow can be streamed on broadcast at wvxu.org, but also if you have a radio and you can tune in, why not go old school and listen to it that way? All the better for it. I'll put a link to the station in the show notes for this episode, 
and I hope you'll join me and people all over the world on Wednesday the 25th of March at 8pm Eastern to enjoy O'Toole from Moscow by Rod Sailing. Thank you and good night.